back, everybody, to Overdue Rentals, the podcast where we talk about films that maybe never got their fair share when they first came out. Maybe they were big award winners, but nobody's talking about them anymore, and we want to talk about them. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And today, we are joined by the amazingly wonderful Marguerite Moreau to talk about both her new film, Monuments, which is a film about a grieving new widow uh, who he is doesn't know what to do with his life after his wife dies and kind of takes her ashes for a little bit of a road trip. I love how you describe that movie. Well, it's the, gen- it's I, the, it's the general gist of it. There's a lot more to it, of course, but it's the general. It is, but I, that really is a nice sort of capsule summation of what you're getting with that film. I, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not pulling your leg here. I literally like how you just described that. But then, of course, as much as that's great, Marguerite's going to join us in a little talk about Barry Levinson's 1998 film, Wag the Dog, which starred Robert De Niro, Anne Heche, and Dustin Hoffman, um, amongst so many other people, which you'll hear about as we discuss it. But, you know, uh, how, would you, how would you put it? Because it's, 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 sat- it's a satire, but at the same time, it's almost so real about- A prescient satire. Yeah, uh, about, the spin, about the spin machine, we'll call it. Oh yeah, very prescient satire. And you know, we would not be good Americans if we did not watch this film and, and question it horribly and, and say, how dare people assume that things like uh, generated scandals and conflicts happen in, in a government. And we will, we will talk, I'm sure, we, we, we were remiss not to point out, we'll talk about, I'm sure when we, when we have Marguerite come in, that she does have a small part in the film uh, earlier on in her career and uh, so keep an eye out for her when you watch the film before you come and listen to the rest of the uh, rest of the talk because I think it's time we get Marguerite Moreau into the shop, right? Oh, it's time. Oh, it's so time. I'm, I've, I've been looking forward to this, man. Uh, let's do it. Uh, Marguerite Moreau on Overdue Rentals. Welcome to Overdue Rentals. Thank you very much. I just want to make sure that you can hear me okay. If there's anything I can do on this end for a better, great. I'm getting thumbs up. So. We can hear you and we are definitely supposed to be seeing you in front of us. This is no illusion. This is very much people talking to people and not apparitions. I think that is wonderful. I like people. <laughs> apparitions, I don't know if I believe in them. So I want to believe in you. Yeah, oh, well, we certainly believe in you and believe in Monument because, uh... I'm an apparition in that though. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Well, to, to clarify for the audience, we are talking about a film dealing with apparitions, but we are not apparitions ourselves. Indeed. I just play one on TV. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested though because that brings up the point of while the balance of the different versions of lore we see are not you know one to one it's interesting that you get to technically play a character that as this is her if in in real life and then this is her through the visage of ted that is true but i would also say that um we get to do a spin on how it could be when you die yeah, because she is wearing the outfit that she she passed in, you know, very Sixth Sense sort of thing. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and I think, uh, at least for me, playing her, I realized that I should maybe give less fucks in real life. That once you're dead, you can kind of do anything because what's going to happen? <laughs> so you can be more free-spirited. Yeah, exactly. She's very <laughs> spirited. <laughs> Guys, we can pun all day. <laughs> well, it is just also wonderful to see. This is, this is sort of a, a story that we have seen played out in the past, but I would like to think that this is definitely 
it teases the idea of apparitions coming to us. And it's not just through the whole movie. Oh, well, you know, we know from the, for, we know straight out of the beginning, she's passed. And we piece everything together sort of one by one. But then even when, you know, we start seeing you as a ghost, it's not just playing the, the straight old playbook of, oh, I'm here to guide you in the beginning. It's just, you're left to figure that out on your own. And then it kicks into, okay, yeah, she's guiding him. I, I think they played with the structure in a really nice way. Originally, it was uh, like a very linear tale and they changed it up in editing. And I feel that that gives also a nice experience for the audience in terms of the ideas that are explored in the film with respect to like grief and how you mourn and how, and if you let go and, and uh, as well as just to like, wait, what is this? Like literally trying to figure out whose relationship and what's happened and all of that. They're smart, those filmmakers, you know, they give you many levels to think on and enjoy. So, th so then when you went into it, it was still technically you thought gonna be coming out more linear. So like mm -hmm. what were your experiences after watching it? Did, it? did it change your vision of what you had planned or what you thought was gonna be laid out? Well, I appreciate it. I think it gave more energy to the film. And um, when you're doing something in a heightened tone like this movie, because it is a comedy that has moments of levity. Wait, levity is comedy, right? <laughs> okay, so it really has levity. That's how much levity it has. Um, but we sort of earn these more thoughtful moments by, you know, kind of like jumping on this rollicking ride. So when working on that, getting that tone right, I think that the the new structure really helps that because you need a lot of energy. And I kept asking the director, like, all right, is this enough energy? Like, we need to drive this thing if you really want it to be a comedy. Also, what really drives the energy is the fact that this is also a road trip movie. Um, oh, by the way, to the audience at home, it's monuments, not monument, because I am a monumental derp. So... Uh, but you have Ted going on this mini road trip and it's all this wide open space. Like it's not, oh, we're, like Chicago is the, the end goal, but he's going through all these beautiful other states like Colorado and Iowa. And it, that's something else that kind of lends to the energy of this. Uh, if you really wanted to, you probably could do very enclosed, very interior sort of, uh, an interior sort of version of this story. But it's just, beautiful just the place i, I like that that those open spaces are also he's just lost yeah. literally and figuratively so it's like i also think of that moment in the matrix where it's that white space i was going to call it the ether but what do they refer to it as like void i think or void. maybe that's Right. So I always think of when I see the movie, I actually don't ever think of it as a road trip movie. I think of him just like he's just driving around, like trying to find like the, the unvoid. <laughs> trying to find Chicago. Be unvoid. There's, there's so many different different ways anybody can see it. There are people who can watch it and say this is a chase movie. There are people who can see it. This is just see it. This is a romance movie. You know, it, it's got everything for everybody. Is it Commedia dell'arte too? I don't even know. There are types in this movie. <laughs> Scholars will debate that question uh, uh, as soon as they get their hands on this film. And they absolutely should because it's just, you know, mortality is really interesting to play around with in, in any sort of fiction because it's something that we really don't have all those answers to. Yeah. Oh, we're not even comfortable with the idea of it in general, so. Mm, that explains comic books. Does it? Anybody can more. come back. Right. I mean, look, I, I'm definitely one of those people that like, I say to myself, I'm not afraid of death. I don't know what's gonna happen. I, 
I def I'm not the type of person that believes in an afterlife. I believe that one day, it's not even reincarnation the way other people think about it. I think just one day somebody else is gonna be living and that's gonna be that. But then when you sit and think, it freaks you out. So to have a version of it that has that levity is a nice thing. Oh yeah, I don't think we're voluntarily jumping into that. No, but we're no. all in it right now, which is great. So we're all processing huge group loss, personal loss, everything from loss of people to loss of time to loss of sanity. Uh, it seems kind of lucky that it's coming out now. I know at the end of the day, a lot of my friends who don't have my fun job, but have their version of fun jobs that are very serious, they do not want to come home and watch a movie about, God bless them, Chernobyl or something. They need a break. And so it's nice to be able to say, oh, well, check this out because you'll have a great time. And also maybe you'll take some deep breaths and rest better. It's also a really interesting, uh, well, not interesting, but it's a really good choice that they don't show Laura's death. We hear what happened. We know what happened, but we get enough details that you can piece it together if you really want to. But if you don't want to see such an image, it's like, I ran off the road. It's kind of like COVID. Nobody sees it. I mean, some people see it. I shall correct myself, pardon me. But for the most part, it's been a very removed uh, part of this experience, which is so bizarre. Yeah. Let's go to, can we go to Wag the Dog for a second? Because I think this is a perfect transition. I don't know how you guys do the show. Um, by all means. Okay. By all means, uh, Wag the Dog of the show. Oh, I'm so excited. So uh, <laughs> I'm almost so excited. I forgot what I'm going to say. So let's see what happens. Well, yeah, that is an interesting con a connection between these two films because it is basically based on our perceptions of reality mm -hmm. and how in Monuments, Ted is very much sort of, stuck in his own reality where he's not ready to let go of Laura and she's still there yeah. versus Wag the Dog where there is a complete fabrication that is constructed and it's a, I forget what movie it's from, but there's something where someone's like, it's a useful hypocrisy. That might be another David Mamet line. It might be from State and Maine, don't quote me, but that it's it, there's something where it's like a useful hypocrisy as a, a concept and just, yeah. Well, not thinking about death is a useful hypocrisy, you know. Oh, yes. Alive, right? If you had to every day, you'd go crazy. So we don't think about it. And then it happens. And then we are like, oh, we should have thought about that more. It's all distraction. It's a shell game. Yeah, exactly. I haven't played one of those in a while. You? No. You don't get better with age? I mean, I, I feel like I'm still kind of good with them, but I haven't just played one in a while. See, if we were in person while we are we were talking, I would, I would do a shell game for you. Oh, that would totally be a thing. That, that something, would be something like, that went on your resume a long time ago, like mas master at three card Monty. I can't put that on my, it's like secret work that I do. <laughs> it's like my spy work. What happens if I put it on my resume? Well, someone will come to your home and kill you. <laughs> That's what's shocking is I forgot that the, at the end, this very chill dude in Conrad is like very lethal totally forgot our lovely Stanley was not made for this world or long for this world. No, but you know what? Your tear helped America. Those real tears at that Waylon Jennings concert. Thank you. So you did catch that. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, in discussing what movie I was going to pick, because I was going to pick Shag, which was not on your list. Um, Good one though. Yeah. My husband and I were like, ah, but wag the dog. And I was like, yeah, of course. 
it's funny though, they, they picked me for that. And then I got to set, like, it wasn't an audition or anything. They just called and said, go here at this time. There's a part for you. And mm. I was the first time something like that had happened to me. And then they were like, you're going to cry. You can cry. Right. Well, I'm like 14 and there's like all these adults and I'm like, uh, uh-huh. And then, you know, I walked around all day being like, oh no, how am I going to dredge up my, I had like no training at that time. You know, I was all working on charisma and fear and um they literally were like here's Merrill Haggard like is this cool bus right there and then they're like just yelling off camera cry Marguerite cry and then I'm just like you know really working it uh with my face and then they're putting like paper plates of onions right under my face like to try to get me to tear up like no tear stick or anything which is something sometimes is used in the in the I was gonna say they didn't hit the vapor rub. No vapor rub back when when I was that age. Uh, maybe it's only used for over eighteen. I don't know. Uh, That's dangerous. But, but for years, I was always so ashamed of that. But now that I have perspective, I can go. I mean, even when the music started, like I forgot where it was in the movie. But the second the song started, "Courage, Mom," like a, I, my brain before my brain could go, I think my body got in the shakes because I think so much um, shame was attached to the fact that I couldn't do it on that day. And it looks fine and it's totally great. And, you know, I was 14, whatever, but it's really interesting how your body holds on to memories that, uh, that, that you can't think away. A little to a scary extent when you really think about it, like this is 98 and some of the stuff that they throw in there is very much a part of the time because obviously it's based off of certain political scandals that were present that day. Well, but this I, I, I didn't realize this. I'm sorry to cut you off, Mike, but I only forgot because I was looking it up after. This was actually released before the Lewinsky scandal actually happened and before the war in Syria actually happened. Well, on one half, you could, I mean, as far as the Lewinsky scandal was concerned, that was kind of a, a, another part of a pattern that was forming in that. So you could, you could kind of give them that the whole Syria thing. And then I could swear people were legitimately saying don't change horses midstream when George W. had his uh, re-election campaign. I bet they were. But like, what even does that mean? Is that said in the movie? That's a big, like their whole, their whole crutch is this. No, I know that it's their, that's their campaign, oh. but I mean, literally. Like who's no, no. putting off Never, their horse yeah. in the middle of the, I mean, I don't know. I just thought there was a whole section of the movie where they discuss the, the, the term. Don't worry, but regardless, going back to the impeachment of Bill Clinton, that is also like coming out now though. Like it's so relevant, this movie that they're even making these other, yeah. these other things. Oh yeah, the big Ryan Murphy miniseries. Yeah, my husband has been working on it. And, uh, and so just watching like the scenes, cause you know, he has to rehearse. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, he's not sharing it with anyone world, don't worry. You but, put uh, camera on his lapel. Yeah, right. Like just just from seeing the whole thing from different points of view, different from how we saw it through the press. I mean, mm. even with this, how they just distract the press and the press just goes willingly wherever the story takes them is really interesting. Do you think that this made you more jaded, like seeing something like this, or you already very much knew it was happening? And now by the time we get to Trump and like how um, openly he's he's using these tactics, I mean, I don't know. What I find strange about it, I, I definitely 
I'm more of a cynic, even and, and even at that point when I was still just only like 18 years old. Um, and so I was very much like, yeah, we know, and I'm just watching like a hyper version of it, which now may be even a more real version of it. What's, what's weird to me and what's scary to me talking about it is while I want people to remember the film and experience it now, I'm almost worried about how somebody on both sides of the aisle and extreme sides of the aisle at this point could take it. Cause I feel that anybody could take this and use it as power behind whatever their beliefs are. And it's not one-sided one way or the other. And it's kind of weird. I don't know, maybe it's just me though. <laughs> well, I'm terrified and speechless. Like, should we stop talking about it? Oh no, we gotta talk about it. We gotta no, talk. I, I think it kind of <laughs> confirmed my cynicism. I do like to be optimistic, but it did confirm my cynicisms in certain ways. Because, you know, even just looking back at how much they hit the nail on the head right before we sort of went into an era where it may not have been a fake war, but there was very much a war that had certain, may have had certain motivations behind it coming out. And what was really interesting is the book this movie's based off of is about the fictional premise of George H.W. Bush going into the first Desert Storm because of this. Mm -hmm. This comes out in the interim. And then we get second desert storm that kind of has some of these same tactics, like the commercials and the, the shows of solidarity and the, the symbols. And it just did kind of watching it now is like, ah, this doesn't hit home at all. Does it? It also was something that I went, yep. Yeah, well, they, per they, they called it. In, in terms of my interest in college um, was pop culture, where pop culture and politics connect and how mm. much po um, pop culture is gonna be influencing our politics. Uh, and then I just ended up going into to politics, which is what I thought I was going to do because it was, I actually felt that acting was more wholesome. <laughs> and I, because it was too scary, because it was dealing with real things instead of you know telling, telling stories, it was making stories up. So. That's, that, that's not for me. Um, but then <laughs> in real life, I don't know. But I, I was sort of kind of conflicted while watching it about how much fun I was having. You know, politics is a game and I don't think it should be a game is what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, but the movie in and of itself from the beginning where the music starts and you've got this great like war drum, like almost like a, like a civil oh, war yeah. drum and this single guitar that almost feels like some of the more iconic television music that we hear nowadays like uh from like friday night lights or something or the theme they, of the west wing even yeah like you yeah get that nice little like sort of military drum like -bum 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 -bum. it's like that means yeah four-star general is walking right to you with the football and it's like we need to act now yeah yeah it's just it's a as a it's a movie that's so fun because you get to play with with Dustin Hoffman and and um, Robert De Niro, and then you've got so such a great performance in Anne Hesh playing this like soil yes. in her with her like skinny legs and her funny shoes. Uh, there's like this great scene uh, three quarters of the way through the movie where she's shot all in the dark in silhouette, and there's mud, and she's like trying to say, "Wait, wait, 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 wait," and we shouldn't be laughing at this moment, but you know, if she would have slipped and fell, it would have just been hilarious. There's the only way that we can handle it. Yeah, they, they really do walk that line between being able to laugh at something, but also not taking you too far away from the stark reality, which makes those different twists and even the ending just that much more lethal. 
yeah, but it was done with such a light touch, you know, it wasn't heavy handed that ending. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a comedy of errors in so many ways because it's just at every other corner where they're being, you know, blockaded, just how are we gonna come across it? And then, oh, this guy's a, this, this war hero we're trying to build, he was actually in a, a psych ward? Oh no, what are we gonna do? This is nothing, this is nothing. Yeah, that's, that's all that's, Dustin Hoffman this says. This is nothing. The plane <laughs> crashed, that's nothing. You know what's something? Showing up to a pitch meeting at 10 a.m. coked up to the gills. I was gonna say, try try five Italian actresses fighting over a scrap. <laughs> okay. Seriously, there's. I know it's a slight controversy for the film because of the way that they sort of worked on the script and argued the credit, but there is a lot of David Mamet's fingerprints yeah. on this undeniably to the point where I would probably watch State and Maine right after this. I was thinking of The Spanish Prisoner. Which is my David Mamet that I like. Or that's my that's my top. Oh. That's my David Mamet. <laughs> also, his acting book, True and False, is so great. If you guys have never looked at it, it's very satisfying. I have a copy of it at home. I actually haven't opened it up yet, but there's a copy at home. Do it. Do it. I, oh, I took like, lots of notes uh, of the movie while I was watching it. I think because um, I didn't know where this conversation would go, but I just wanted to try and, and look at it a bit more analytically, but still at the, at the point when they're throwing the shoes, mm -hmm. I got so emotional about unity that even though I knew it was all created, I loved that everyone was coming together for something. Is that me just in the pandemic starved for like, like global connection? I mean, we're watching the Olympics. How much more connection do I need? But that's, that's the thing it's like, those are the things that we all want to see. Those are the things that, yes, as horrible, as horrible as it was and as divided as we become, who didn't remember when everybody had an American flag out right after 9-11? And nobody, nobody orchestrated that, but you have to wonder how many other things have we seen that maybe are, were meant to be like, here's a campaign we're going to try and get you to come along with, and who, who devised it? Well, even look at the direct analogs that this movie cribs from. Uh, the, the American Dream song is basically Voices That Care. Yes. And then the shoes of the ribbon. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's still amazing. I would, you know, just growing up through all that, amazing how much you retain from it. Mm. And then, you know, zoom over to 9-11. I remember the first big reaction uh, was like, there was this huge thing in like the town I grew up in, like, they had fire trucks going. Everybody was like lined up this one like corner and just every, it was like this big rally. And even though it was supposed to be unifying, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, shit, are we going to war? Am I going to have to go to war? That's the scariest thing that, that I, I don't know if it's because of this movie that I, every political or, or election cycle, uh, anytime a sitting incumbent or an incumbent candidate uh, starts to fit, futz in this area of, of war or any sort of armed anything, I get, oh, it's just the wag the dog thing. They're just trying to get reelected. They're creating this, so they're too important. And I just start spinning with anger. Um, yeah. What did she say? That television killed the political process. That's one of her quotes in that feels like very David Mamet. Um, and I'm like, is that true? Do you guys think <laughs> I don't know. We'd probably have to get John Stewart on here to help comment on that as well. Well, that's, that's the thing. Fine. I don't want to. I don't want to get overly, you know, now cynical about it too. But like, it's now come to the point where if you're talking about again somebody using war as like the way to get their 
their believers behind them. It's like everything that has been going on for so long and now is being spat out again because now it's now it's immigration. And watching freaking Ron DeSantis try and claim that Florida's outbreak is because of immigrants is just mind-blowing. I'm already sick that I mentioned it. Okay, well, I'm glad you mentioned it because I was thinking that we need this whole team on the vaccine. We need a song, we need an armband, we need everybody putting the things on their car, whatever it is. I feel that there, I definitely am impressed with the communication aspect of all the different ways I'm being let know where I can get a vaccine, what the new information is, depending on how engaged I am. I'm like, oh, if I actually open this, excuse me, email from my mayor, there's a lot of information in there. Um, and but then other places around the community where they're trying to reach out at the park or wherever it is and kind of being like, OK, so if it's important enough, government can get there, can get going. But it's such a large thing to have to navigate uh, in terms of like the size of the government, not the. Yeah. And then you even seen people like uh, Olivia Rodrigo showing up to the White House and they do a tweet about younger people should be getting vaxxed like that's. A, a, a charm offensive used to be sort of the sidelines of a political campaign and it was more issues, but now you just look at the past 20 years and some for better, some for worse, that influence has been wielded to the point where, yeah, uh, Hollywood is very much entangled with politics. And, you know, look at when Wag the Dog came out and people were like, oh, why is Hollywood getting involved with politics? Right. It was like the Murphy Brown, Diane English, like with the Clinton staying yeah. in, the, in the White House. Right. But then <laughs> it was interesting during the Trump uh, first, his first election, he really turned Hollywood into like an elite East West Coast thing, which I was really surprised about because of my interest in being politically engaged mm-hmm. um that they he was able to do that and i think to a detriment to the country it, because the more involved people being interested the better but it was scary how influential i think he was uh to parts of this country and still is you know yeah unfortunately. yeah yeah but that to bring it back though that begs the question though is like who do we have now to write that you know that great song to make sure that everybody gets behind everything because you know the willie Willie nelson Nelson. the pop staples of then are yeah but now (laughs) the younger generation kanye's not gonna do it you know (laughs) you know it's like who's gonna speak to the younger generation now that's gonna be able to be that size yeah i mean i did love that song that the childish gambino did but i think that in terms of like an overarching like you mean for the vaccine or for national unity above like this red blue environment i mean either or we need both we really need both right now well technically you need someone to write it but then to create that it comes from somewhere else right that's the whole movie's premise is it's not willie it's him creating that with someone else and i don't know who the fad guy is but if he's listening we need you your country needs you you could get an ambassadorship somewhere i bet I'm sure there's a back end involved. There's always a back end. Always a back end. I'm so glad. Merchandise, you know. Don't anybody know about it or otherwise you know what happens at the end of the movie. (laughs) It's amazing how this plays on either end. It's like, you could be really afraid of this movie or you could be really into it. I'm too idealistic. I'm into it. (laughs) It's going to be a game. Let's let's play it for good. (laughs) It's insane though to think about even getting, yes, they do things nowadays and you know, yeah, people will talk about the Marvel movies as a, for instance, but getting that much talent on every level for a movie like this 
really is not going to happen now anymore, I don't think. You'd need a bigger budget than what they had here. Like Matt and I were kind of talking, or I, we were talking about monuments in this, in this uh, or it was Grand Canyon I think we were talking about, but same thing applies for Wag the Dog. You go back, you come to this present day, you'd probably be making this as an indie and you would probably get some, some star power, but the, you go back to 98, it was like, wait, De Niro and Hoffman are doing a movie together. Anne Heche is in there. Dennis Leary's in there. Craig T. Nelson still got some clout at that point. Kirsten yeah. Dunst. Yeah, also Woody Harrelson. Woody, yeah, Woody Harrelson. Oh. A non-speaking role, basically. That man is a chameleon, and I love just watching how he's moved ever what since What do you think, Tears. this is like a 30 million movie back then, or 15? I wanna yeah. say 30. Yeah. 15. No, yeah, you got 15, yeah. Yeah, doesn't it made, feel like 15? That was my first thought. Made uh, for 15, made 64.3 million. That would not good. happen right now. No. No. But how would you, what would you, it would be now, you do get this kind of talent packaged in a movie, but the script is never good enough to me. And the, mm. maybe the director is newer. You go back, Barry Levinson, you know, Diner, Young yeah. Sherlock Holmes, yeah. uh, Rain Man. And now his, let's see, his most- uh, Toys. One, oh, and toys. I love toys. I got to see that. I was very excited to look that up on your list. I think it's on HBO Max right now still. Rock the Casbah is his latest credit. It's a Bill Murray movie that he did a couple of years ago. Oh, well, I'd go to the Casbah with Bill Murray and Barry Levinson. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't see the movie. Oh, God. Such a hypocrite. <laughs> Such a hypocrite. Welcome back to Useful Hypocrites, uh, the podcast where we're basically here to just make you smile in the darkest of hours. <laughs> well, I mean, again, even talking about getting that, getting a, something like the cast together, but not having the director or the writer be as well. I even still think cast wise, like there, we talk about it, like people nowadays are all on Twitter and uh, whatever uh, other format talking about, like, there's no power couple greater than these two right here. Uh, and it's, you know, it's at the time it was Kanye and Kim. Uh, but, you know, my brother would go, how could anything ever match up to when Arthur Miller and Marilyn Monroe were together? And we don't, I don't know, if, even if these are no. the big, like, stars today, I don't think we have anything that matches up to it where you can go, here are two people head-to-head -head on the same level. And I'm talking about now, not even couples, I'm talking about just, just talent. And then put under it, even if they're just in, for like, two seconds of the movie, being names that you know that are powerful, I don't, I don't think it exists anymore. I, I think that is interesting because we're, you know, everyone's going kind of back to work now and it's hard to find a job because all these actors have not worked. And so they jump in on things that not necessarily they would do. Mm. And certain projects are getting very lucky to get very, very talented people with their projects and great for them. But also like you're taking something that, uh, because there's nothing going and they want to get, get working. But I feel like television right now is able to fill um, a lot of roles kind of like this stacked. Um, but I also think that one of the first things I wrote down in my notes last night was, why doesn't De Niro do more work like this? This is, to me, his yummiest place. It's not yeah. a heightened comedy or a heightened drama, crime drama, or anything in that genre that he's so good in. To me, his sweet spot is his... It's, he's, his charisma is just dripping all over this in both drama and comedy aspect. And obviously, you know, Dustin Hoffman, we love him in roles like this or like Hook where he is just chewing. He loves to chew, right? Oh, I yeah. did a movie with him and it was fun to watch his takes because 
he, I, I spent this whole movie going, mm, I wonder if that's improv. Mm, I wonder if that's written. I wonder if he sat down with a, and called every producer and just was like, give me all your stories. And so he could just throw them out in every, in every t- take of every scene because he's like that. He, he really does tons of takes. I want them to make more. <laughs> It's weird thinking about it now, too, because now after you get to talk to certain people, you kind of forget. Because we, we had Robert Wall on the show to talk about Mistress. And mm-hmm. he was talking about De Niro's process. because Like, he just walks on set and automatically does his takes as if he's rehearsing. And so he'll give his 15 different versions while sitting down there. And then, all right, good, I'm gone. And you have to wonder where something like this also feeds into being allowed to play around so much that that's why he strives so well in this type of role. Or seems like this is really his bread and butter because you you get that ability to be a little more aloof with it. I think it also comes down to just the team that he had both acting and making the film because, you know, he's working with Barry Levitz and he's producing the film himself too. But then you just go back to that. You go to the core of Haish, Hoffman, and De Niro. That's beautiful. You yeah. throw in Dennis Lear. You throw in Andrea Martin. Who she just, was underused, though. She was underused, I'm sorry. She is underused. I agree. Oh, yes. Like I was almost like, who is this and why is she in here? Right? And then I'm like, oh, right, 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 right. Uh, and it seems like her job changes from the beginning when she's there to like, oh, she's doing, the, she's creating the visual. Like, yeah. I, it wasn't clear to me that at, that at the beginning, I thought they could, is, is it just, I would love to see the extras because I feel like there was probably more that then had to get. <sighs> you know, snipped. Remember when they, uh, that just reminds me of when they did have really good extra packages. We've probably complained before. We'll probably complain again about this. At least I will, but. Communicate your needs. If you don't communicate what you need, they can't give it to you. Exactly. Keep asking. asking And I'm sure that when this first hit DVD, they had deleted scenes. And this was back when it might've been just before New Line did their Infinifilm versions where it's like, this is just the fancy name for, we're putting everything on here and you're getting it now. But even in the early days, they used to put some really impressive feature packages together where deleted scenes were almost a prerequisite. Oh, definitely. And a commentary. I miss commentaries. That's why I'm glad that boutique labels still do them because I like revisiting those and just- Monuments has a- uh commentary just so you know Ooh, I, now that's when i would definitely i definitely want to hear the the commentary on that and maybe if there's deleted scenes i'd like to see those too oh we used every scene it's an indie <laughs> we even Fair. shot a few more <laughs> Fair. well we, we do we have anything we want to cut no no we filmed all these scenes they're there they're there find a way we got the coverage what if we go non-linear then we could just like kind of fudge it all together yeah yeah that's it Bobby Munoz doesn't have to wear a hat in that scene. Yeah, gotta love it. I mean, you know, God bless him. What I did love about this, that there were things uh, in the script that I'm like, I don't, could you just explain? And (laughs) they're really trying to use uh, the camera and telling stories uh, with a bit more imagination that I've seen in a while in this type of story. I really appreciate that they were trying to do things that I hadn't seen. I think I just said that twice because I think there are two separate moments that really stand out for me in the film. And and I think that it just keeps you guessing and it's a delightful surprise. And I really appreciated how and what they were trying to do. It's just, it's off the beaten path. And like both of these films were because you don't really, Wag the Dog really was sort of that singular sort of experience when it happened. And like, you know, I I guess every generation kind of has one. 
but I don't know if we've gotten as many or maybe just not in that same milieu in our in like the past couple cycles. Maybe not the past couple cycles, but around then there were, I mean, again, they weren't necessarily the same exact attempt at what they were delivering, but you know, they had the film version of Primary Colors. Oh, right. True. I, I have Bob Roberts, which I'm still dying to talk to somebody about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they had Murder yeah. at 1600, which kind of capitalized on the salaciousness. And it was like, okay, maybe here's the Sidney Sheldon version or like the detective version of what yeah. we're, we're like. There are so many movies that I, this is something I've always wanted to sort of dive into and examine deeper. The Clinton era out of, I would say out of all the political eras that we've really lived through had the most impactful movies like that because on the more, uh, on the more uh, positive side, that's the word I was looking for, positive. On the more positive side of the spectrum, you had Dave. You had the American I was president. Say Dave was the other one that yeah. was yeah, yeah. And plus, a lot of these were Warner and Warner adjacent, so that's kind of like magic in and of itself. I mean, New Line was, I think, a Time Warner company at that point when mm -hmm. Wag the Dog came out. And I'm just watching this, and it's like they have the little chalkboard where it's like eight days till the election, forty-one percent. And I'm thinking, that's kind of like American President, where they're counting down the crime bill and the 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 eco vote. And it's like, oh, but this is. This is the version where um, the president's not a guy you want to win. <laughs> I know. I mean, when you really think about the beginning of the film and uh, the Me Too movement and this Firefly Girl idea, you know, they kept correcting it's not a Girl Scout, it's a Firefly <laughs> Girl, which I don't know what the difference uh, of that is. Um, but somebody was saying that like it mattered. Um, I, I, it's like they touch on it at the beginning and then they all as the audience are like, ooh, don't, oh no, it's coming up in the news cycle again. That our, our team is not winning. How effectively they make it still relevant instead of it feeling like, oh, this movie is about a bunch of white guys trying to keep, stay in power. Uh, that time has passed. You're like, oh no, it's definitely relevant. That is probably one of the most important opening segments of a film because the whole Firefly and Girl Scout differentiation and then when they're starting to create the story. Oh, well, the B3 bomber, there is no B3 bomber. Yes, well, then they can say there is no B3 bomber. But, you know, the general didn't fly out to Seattle for this. It's like right there, they're laying out the world that we're living in for this, hour, like almost hour 40, which that's just a lightning rocket when you think about it. Like yeah, this it's just so fun. Don't ask, don't just go. And right there is like maybe the only point where it's really, standing still he's called in to deal with the crisis and he's laying out okay this is how we control the narrative these are the players these are the things that we need to put into play we'll worry about cooking everything else up afterwards we just got to be on our feet here because if not we're dead now was this nominated for something i believe it was nominated for best adapted screenplay but not for dustin hoffman as like that's like an, a fun support i feel like this movie wasn't that popular or or like uh touted or like it did both. well enough yeah but why didn't it do more it was so fun is it that people just don't think politics are interesting fun like i guess this is the whole point of your whole podcast but, but that's the strange yeah. thing too because like we were saying you know it was it technically got in in, in in a way it became its own real life situation because it came out before those scandals and then those scandals hit. And they were their own movie. And Hoffman did get nominated for best actor. And then David Mamet and Hilary Hankin were both nominated for best adapted. Got it. And this was, this was one of those 
it was literally released at Christmas. It was one of those like, ooh, we want to be an awards player. And uh, I'm trying to think of who else was playing in 97. It's the year before. Wait, was that year, the year of or before Titanic? No, it was before. This is the year, this is, this is the year after because Titanic was with LA Confidential in the actual 97 awards. So this is the year after. I can't ah. say I was in college. That's, that's, that's my big thing because I don't care what you think about Titanic. The fact that LA Confidential lost is what kills me. Everything. And so I remember it like, like it's right here. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> just, like, just like Shakespeare in Love versus Saving Private Ryan. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I Even I knew back then. I was like, that's I think the movie just got lost in its own. I, got, I also got police sirens behind me. I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, but it, yeah, it, did, it definitely got lost. I was always confused because it's such a tight ride of a movie that if you like politics or not, it's fun. It's like a super fun movie. But is that just because I love politics and I love acting? I love movies. So I'm like, oh, how do movies do get produced? Oh, this is exactly. so great. Like, how does politics really happen? It's so niche. And uh, Matthew, you will be pleased to know that this was the year of Titanic and LA oh. Confidential beat Wag the Dog for best I'm wrong. screenplay. I'm... So LA Confidential did get itself a nice, a nice victory, but not the victory. But yeah, Marguerite, to your point, this is just, you know, I'm, I wanna say I was 15 at the time this came out. And this was one of those movies that I had on my periphery. Cause you know, I was the weird kid that read Entertainment Weekly back when it was Entertainment Weekly. And I, I heard of it and it's like, oh, oh, wow. So the moment it hit uh, pay-per-view, we had the box where I could just tape it off. And like, that's how I saw LA Confidential. That's how I saw this. That's how I saw Spanish Prisoner. Like between 97 and 98 was like with that box, I saw all those. I saw Dark City. Like I saw all these movies that like I couldn't get into the theater to see it yet. Yeah. But I was like, okay, well, when video comes around, my friend, we're going to have words. Well, you got me really excited about State in Maine because I was so excited to see that. And then I feel when I did see it, I maybe saw it at the wrong time and it didn't click for me. And I was crushed because it had all the brightness that I love in like uh, a sort of like comedy, but that is more intelligent, mm. but I couldn't track it. So I'm going to have to maybe email you guys later because it's now your list is now my list and, I, and my working list to enjoy and I really appreciate do you put that up for the enjoyers of your podcast to if they are so inspired and maybe there's a or I guess you have it after right like so you listen to the podcast and then you get inspired to go watch it again yourself oh yeah I mean we want we want people to go watch everything but there are other pieces that we haven't we haven't really started to give out yeah. to the audience that that'll be in maybe another five or so episodes that we'll start to build off of, you mm -hmm. know, like the whole Patreon thing and going on there and saying like, you can, you want to add to the list, come add to the list, you know, so on and so forth. That's we, do we do tell people to email us, but yeah, that's, that's a really good idea actually. Maybe to put out like a list, like keep the running list and maybe, maybe that's every it. now and then throw out a poll and it's like, Hey, which one do you want to hear next? That We're constantly be. adding to it too. It's, it's, yeah. it's going to keep growing and growing. Because that's what that's just, I can't believe how many things that people have just kind of like, yeah, people know about it, but they just either never paid attention to or just kind of forgot about, don't really mention it much anymore. And they need to be. Well, that, that also just ties into like, again, Wag the Dog had two big Oscar nominations, but even movies with Best Picture nominations sort of fall off the radar and people really don't talk about it. 
Well, I mean, that's the thing every year is like, well, I think one of the questions on your like uh, Oscar, do you guys ever play like the game, you know, who's going to get the most and then they win? What's that called? Oh, yeah, just like the Oscar pools. The Oscar pools. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the questions should be like, what won last year or what was up for the best picture last year and how many have you thought about or seen since then? Because it just goes yeah. right out the window. And we're so about these films and, you know, I think a lot of people uh, just totally forget about them and don't really care. They just get in and into it in the moment. We need to sign you on as a co-producer. You, got, you have a lot of ideas that we need yes. to sign Well, I will say that if you do do polls on your social media, it can up the uh, interaction, which will up uh, you know viewership and lead people to your podcast. And this is something that we want because talking about movies is like the most fun thing besides seeing them. Yeah, that's that that really is just that's part of the reason why I do like that I still champion the theatrical experience besides the fact that I just like seeing movies on a huge screen with a really nice sound system and yeah I might have to pay a little more for that but I'll I'll do it for like I'm going to see the Suicide Squad tonight. I'm going right. to an IMAX to see that. Ooh. And the cool thing is on the smallest scale I get to walk out and have my own thoughts. But I'm going with my wife tonight. I love walking out of movies with her and talking about it on the car ride home or even going with friends or even critic screenings. Like Matthew and I sat together for Secret Life of Pets too, and then got to talk about that when we walked out. Excellent. That's so good. It's been on a lot. I have yet to sit and watch it from beginning to end, but there are many enjoyable parts in that movie. There are. Well, I was just going to say, so because I have the kiddo, like getting away to go to the movies is more difficult. But this mm -hmm. weekend we were um, on vacation with another family. And I said, well, I thought we could watch the Jungle Cruise because I want to see it. They want to see it. And the other family was like, yeah, we have not been doing it because it's so much money. And I was like, if you took these kids to the movies, it would be like $200. All of us. We wouldn't even, wow. and we couldn't go out afterwards for drinks to talk about the movie because I actually hate going out with people to the movies. And then we just all go home after the movie. Yes. Like, I want an earlier screening. So I want to get down with everything. I want to talk about shots. I want to talk about why did I think about shots at that moment? I should be thinking about this. I should be in the story. But um, anyway, I just feel that the opportunity for us also to see things, if we can't see them in the theater, given our circumstances, we had the best time. We put it on for the kids while we were making dinner and we all kept coming running out because the beginning gives you such a sense of the actual ride with mm. how he makes his jokes and all this. And I was so, I, so delighted and surprised by all the little things that I could like in the movie, even though it wasn't quote unquote, maybe for me. But I thought it was like just totally great. And I so appreciated it. That sequence was amazing in 3D because I went last weekend in 3D and that part where the they're going towards the trunk and it's like coming towards the boat. They did it. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's like a flinchworthy moment. It's like, ah! like they linger on it and it's just done so well. And not all 3D is created equal, but that worked. But that movie is all for 3D. Like the amount of snakes in that movie yeah. is incredible. As a as a I'm learning to love snakes person. Uh, I, I felt like I did really good with this movie, but there ain't no way you get me to go to a 3D movie. This is a side thing. Like, how'd you deal with that? Oh, I just love 3D. He's like, a I 3D have so person. much fun. He's a big 3D person. But there's a lot of snakes, sir. It's better than just when I go in for, well, part of it is I review 3D stuff. Okay. But also, I just happen to love it. And like, I, there's nothing more disappointing than going to a 3D and not having snakes yeah. jump out or debris coming at you or rain is like falling oh rather effectively it's like 
I, I, I came here for eye popping, jumping stuff. Like, I don't care if you jump scare me with this. It's just, it, it makes it feel like more of an attraction, especially cool. with Jungle Book. Like that's just- Jungle Book? Beautiful, oh, Jungle, Jungle Cruise. That's, I've been doing that so much lately. It's yeah. like, oh, we're gonna go see Jungle Book. Wait, no, Jungle Cruise. But Jungle Book was really good too. <laughs> it's 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 fun. It's interesting though too because again, whether it's three D or not three D, you know, I, I I will say I don't really want people watching movies on their phone for the first time. That's the way they're experiencing it. It's weird. I understand if it's the only way. I guess you're gonna do it. But it's again, if you're at home and you have a decent sized TV, yes if that's the only way you ever saw it, you can still be impressed, but there's something about it. And I, I was telling, I think Mike, I was telling this the other day too. It's like, yeah, everybody's going to say, oh, well, you want to go see one of these big action blockbusters. You got to see it on the big screen. And when, when Godzilla Kong first came out, it was really still in a lockdown state. People really wanted to go see it in the theater and they wish they could. But even movies like I, I saw Annette in a screening room. So it's a large screen, but it's not the biggest screen in the world. But like, everybody should be going to see that movie on a screen. Don't watch it at home if you can't, but if you can, you're going to enjoy it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it really is ultimately what connects with people and what's available. And I do, the, the, the advantage to that is tonight at seven o'clock, if you're an HBO Max subscriber, you get to watch Suicide Squad at home. Or if you want to go to a theater, you can. Like I, so long as we sort of fix the, the whole back-end deal of with streaming that really needs to kind of be we're, we're still in the wilderness on that like so long as everybody is another word for corporations dragging their feet you mean i mean one one could say that indeed Jeez, but... Louise, you and i are thinking the same thing at the same time what i want to know is when they're going to make more movies like wag the dog for the big screen that has these huge actors going head to head. I love it, I love it. And it shouldn't all be just Sundance movies. I remember I asked mm. um, Gene Hackman, I said, why don't you do, I just loved you in Royal Tenenbaums. Like, do you like those kind of movies? Like, would you want to ever do more like that? And he goes, well, they don't offer them to me. I do what's mm. offered. And I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting. Cause he, I don't, you probably saw the post on like, I think it was Twitter. Someone showed a recent day. photo of him. And it's like, you know, Gene Hackman's 91 years old, living in New Mexico. He's doing fine. But yeah, I, I, that's, that, that's a really good question. Like, I, that probably be the thing that would bring him out of retirement is like. Yeah, but that, that's now. I mean, she, you were talking to him, I'm guessing, during Run, Runaway Jury, obviously, right? Yeah, a long time ago. But still, that was the first time that he and Hoffman ever worked together. And they were roommates when they were like 17. And that so was the draw. Exactly. Get the two of them on the screen. Or like when we saw Heat, right? Yeah. You know, you know that scene was just written for the movie, but thank God. Oh, yeah. You know, I could feel that in the structure of the scene, you know, that this was placed in the movie. <laughs> or at least I thought at the time. I don't know. You guys have your own opinions. You're right. No, but you're right now, though, about going back to about doing a movie like Wag the Dog now, because we, we are in such a strange political place that everything is going to be the more serious side of things. People are going to do the more... Um, I'm having a massive memory loss here now. Mike, I know you have the movie on the list, the George Clooney, Ryan Gosling. Oh my God, I Ida March, I love it Ida so much. March. March. <gasps> I almost picked that because the play Fargo North is so good and they did such a good job with the movie. Oh my God. Marguerite, I'm on co-host uh, territory here because honestly, the, the vibe here is, I mean, right whenever there. you need a from the field reporter, I'm here for you. I love it. This is my jam. <laughs> 
I mean, just Philip Seymour Hoffman blowing his nose all the time and having a cold through the whole thing. I'm like, I don't care if that's real or not. It's a piece of behavior that is lending so much to the brokenness of what they're trying to do. And I'm just, just driving me crazy. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and just looking at that as like the proto house of cards, like that just. Right. That because Yeah. It, it wowed me so much. Well, House of Cards is the proto House of Cards. Let's not forget it was a BBC yeah. miniseries in the eighties. True, true. Yeah. But there, there's definitely a unique spin, sort of, to because he does it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the American politics version and everything that, of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But would you recommend to both me and and the listeners here today to go back and watch the BBC series from the eighties? It's it's something that I love. I'm, but I'm also very much like all of those eighties BBC miniseries are my favorite things in the world. As Mike knows, my favorite movie of all time is The Sing Detective, which is an 80s British miniseries, which I consider a film. But I think a lot of audiences now will find it a little more, again, since it was a lot more, the British sensibility, especially at that time, was a lot more dry and kind of stiff. You, I think, absolutely. Okay. Everybody who watches it should absolutely. I mm -hmm. think they're going to like, I think most people are going to like the, the American House of Cards more, though. Okay, well, I'm gonna definitely watch The Singing Detective because I saw that on the list and got so excited. Um, I thought that the things in red, cause they, they highlight things in red and then the other, there then there are things maybe in green, I'm not sure. But, um, and I thought that meant those are the things you really wanna talk about but they actually meant, please don't talk about that. We already yeah, we've already, those are the things we've already recorded. Yes, but I <laughs> loved um, the singing detective that came out with Robert Downey Jr. Like to the point where I was like sobbing at uh, Tiff in the theater, like from the last seat in the fourth balcony, I was like, therapy is amazing in this movie. Movie and it's, I mean, I say what you will. I thought it was a transformative night at the theater and I was very excited to revisit. I mean, I can't, I can't talk about it as well because, because of my obsession with the original. Right. And the original, if you, if you, if you thought that about the, the remake, the original will blow you out. The, those scenes specifically, if you're talking about therapy, oh my God, they are certain, those are what I think people should be watching when they talk about award-winning writing, award-winning performances, award-winning direct direction. Mm. And when you think about it, award-winning writing is just so, or even award-nominated writing is just so much harder because in that moment, you don't know who's gonna be delivering those words, who's going to be that person. You have an idea, but then conveying that in a way that's like, okay, I have literally written every detail down here. If they fuck it up, they fuck it up. Like getting to that extent is just, alchemy yeah like right now i'm looking up what were the things nominated uh last year like jojo rabbit which was i don't even think about the writing in that but mm. obviously it had to start somewhere it was incredible like but didn't he write it and is in it well and technically and also it's an adaptation mm. as well yeah but completely different that 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 book has almost no resemblance to the movie what about the irishman there is a there is a movie where we get to watch people of a certain level of acting work with each other. I mean, Harvey Keitel scaring the, I mean, what the heck? I mean, oh, and obviously Joe Pesci, like. But very underplayed Joe Pesci. And like, that was what killed me when I, I he didn't get a nomination. And it's like, wait. Did he they, like burn a bridge or won't do press? So that's why they won't do it? I don't he's know. Not, he's not into, he's basically, no. he's more retired than anything. It's just, he came out to do it for Scorsese for this. And yeah. I just don't think he wanted anything to do with it past that. Mm. Mm. 
I mean, we, you know, you even said, and yes, I heard that too, but you said underplayed, even Harvey Keitel was so under underplayed. I expect the minute he showed up to like have it be a big thing and to have it be even more restrained was so exciting. I was really surprised by that movie. I didn't think I would like it. And I just found it was a gosh darn treat. I need to watch it again because I did like it. But uh -huh. the thing is, I don't feel like I've, I feel like with Scorsese, at least for me, some of the movies that I love of his the most, like Casino and Wolf of Wall Street, it's something where I have gone back to it quite a few times and just found the rhythm. And then once I know the rhythm to it, it just, for a man that's so focused on music, it does feel like putting on a record and knowing where the grooves are worn and what parts are coming up. And that scene in the desert with Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro, where apparently, I think that was improv or just maybe very loosely structured. Oh, I'm, well, I'm gonna say something controversial. And actually, Unfortunately, I know we have to let you go. So I'm gonna say this, and this is gonna be weird, and it's gonna be controversial. I'm not saying the Scorsese's best film, but I think the Scorsese that people sleep on is Hugo. Yes. The movie is so beautiful. <laughs> and so- Marguerite was with us for like so long. No. Fell asleep, no. Oh, oh, oh no, uh, watch it again. Watch I it again. will, but you have to watch The Irishman again because I started slow and knew I wasn't going to be able to watch the whole thing in one sitting. I had a small child. I just knew and I was like, but I need, I, you know, and it's going to be one of these mob things again and then just fell into the rhythm and just was at the end of my bed with my hand on my under my chair. So I will watch you go again and we should make sure we can contact each other for further discussion. By all means, because it takes a while to get there. But when Scorsese is doing a film about his love of film, even when he did it, when he did his letter to Ilya Kazan, it's so good. And then there's After Hours where he's just a Looney Tune gremlin and it's fantastic. Wait, but uh, tell me about this letter to Ilya Kazan. Is this like a... I, I don't think it ever got an official release. They showed it to us at the New York Film Festival. They made a documentary about Ilya Kazan and it's about this, I mean, it's based on a letter he actually wrote to him. And he used it as the basis for making this short documentary about appreciating him as a director and, and yeah. as a friend. Yeah. And I don't know if it ever got an official, I think maybe they showed it on PBS and then it kind of disappeared. Let's see if we can find that, that's for sure. I have this uh, do, um, biography of, of that director that I've been working through and I would love to add this to that study. Good so, supplement. Yeah, good supplement. You guys, thank you so much for having me. I, I thank really- Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I love- yes talking about movies. So this was a real treat. And thank you for checking out our movie and um, talking with us about it because it's a little movie that is is available for in the canon of grief and death. And we're very happy to have it. <laughs> have a good one. Thanks again. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I think, I think we have to convince Marguerite to somehow be a third host with us. I don't think she would have a problem with that considering how much she loves the list. And, and she, she's just, you know, I, it's not to say that anybody on, that we've ever had on the show is like not knowledgeable. I mean, everybody has their knowledge and has these wonderful stories to share, but Marguerite is probably one of the most like, if she, if I didn't know any better, I would think she'd already been listening to us and just, came on because she was a fan like that that was that instant sort of friend connection i, I don't want to be presumptuous ms moreau but it, it felt like that well look here's the thing and i don't want to i don't want to talk bad about anybody because i'm not talking about bad about anybody but like look, we, talk, on the show. No, no, we talked to we talked to people and 
Their schedules are very busy, including hers, and we appreciate all the time they give us. So a lot of times, you know, again, they're doing this as part of a, a days-long list for people who don't know how this goes of just talking to people in and out, in and out. So we send these, you know, we send in a request to talk to them, and yeah, they know they're going to talk about an older movie, but it seemed, it's almost like she was ready to do her, she did her whole research. She sat there with her notepad the night before. Like, I don't think anybody else has done that to this point. She cued us to the exit. She knew the, she knew where the exit was and she like just went for it. And I, yeah, this is just not talking anybody down. This has been one of the best. Uh, but then again, that's, I feel like we've just been on a, on a peak. We've been, been on a climb lately. We're just, these episodes have been getting really good. We're hitting our stride. We can be obnoxious assholes now and start demanding things. We're the best. Everybody's the worst. The words are fantastic. We're charming. Our guests are charming. You really should listen to us if you're not already. But no, but it, it's funny too. And, 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 I'm, and you know, because we, we went through, I, during our discussion, we talked a lot about the entire cast of Wat the Dog, including Marguerite's uh, cameo in the film. But it's also funny because we didn't mention because John Michael Higgins is in there before people knew who John Michael Higgins yes, was. David Kushner's in there before people knew who David Kushner was, you know? And so like, there's, it seems like this movie is just filled like every single frame, no matter who it is, is somebody who was big at the time or getting big at the time. And now they're everywhere. Um, and it's, you, know, just, who it's, knew who, you know who knew John Michael Higgins at this point though? Who would that be? David Letterman. <laughs> was was that was the late shift before this the late shift yeah late shift was like 92 i want to say and apparently like letterman was like uh, a kind of persona non grata but in a polite way and there's no it, the movie sides with him how why that was 92 i can't even believe i think that. it was 92 i'm gonna double check but i think it was 92 and for those for those who don't know yeah. about the late shift the late shift was an hbo movie based on the quarrel of when they announced that Jay Leno was going to take over. This is before the Conan thing, when he was originally going to take over the Tonight Show and was supposed to be, you know, handed over to Letterman. I'm wrong, and it's 96. It's the late night wars. I mean, it's still before Wag the Dog. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know how much... John Michael Hiss didn't have the clout, even then, after, even wow. with the late ship. Didn't have the clout that he had before he got in with the uh, Christopher Guest crew, I guess you'd call it, um, that yeah. he has now. And then uh, you know, it's kind of funny because Bill Carter, the guy who wrote, the, I think it was Bill Carter, the guy who wrote the book about the late shift, then went and wrote a second book when it happened to Conan. See, you know what? I didn't, it's funny. I should have just looked that up. I didn't, and I imagine we're soon going to get an HBO show about that, which I don't know how it hasn't happened yet after all these years. But I, uh, I don't know either. I just, I, if I haven't put the late shift on the list already, I'm, that's going on the list. That's a good one to go on the list too. Yeah, you're right. I thought that was a re, I thought that was a pretty good, Movie like they even well save it for the show, but I think it's an even-handed movie. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, monuments, wag the dog, both things you should you make sure you see, make sure you check them off your overdue rentals list if you haven't seen Wag the Dog at this point. And then, uh, Mike, where can everybody find us? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. On Instagram, at Overdue Rentals Show. And that's our TikTok handle too, isn't it? TikTok is just at Overdue Rentals. Oh, at Overdue Rentals. I'm going to, you know, I, I'm not reading from copy that I've written. Nothing, nothing's era. on there yet, though. It's coming very soon, I promise. I've been working on some stuff. Ooh. People can't see me winking. If they could, uh, I would think they're from the NSA. But, you know, we don't know that. 
anyway, uh, if you want to send us a suggestion, you just want to say hi, send us wonderful letters of praise, email us at overduerentals at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you find great podcasts, five star us, rate reviews. We're here to help. We're ready to believe you. Thank you for joining us. Blah bye. Blah bye.